0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
1: Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank. 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at Alpine Bank. Support for Parched comes from the Grand Canyon Trust, dedicated to safeguarding the lands and waters of the Colorado Plateau since 1985 and working to protect the region for future generations. Learn more at grandcanyontrust.org.
2: Justin Fox's house is a Southern California dream. I can see the ocean from his street, The swimming pool in his backyard is sparkling blue. Fruit trees line the lawn he put in. If you're getting freaked out thinking about all the water this consumes, Justin is right there with you. For years, he sought a way to have all of this while making his water use sustainable.
3: When we put our lawn in outside, we thought, okay, we don't want to start putting a burden on the water, you know, the water that San Diego buys. And we just don't think that's very smart.
2: He's standing outside their home next to his wife, who's holding their young son. Justin says they tried collecting rainwater. It
3: doesn't rain enough down here to make that a viable source of fresh water for, you know, gardening and having fruit trees and stuff.
2: So instead, He's setting up his family to reuse the water they use inside.
3: I have a two-year-old son and my daughter, they love taking baths. And I thought, gosh, we're just getting rid of this clean bath water. They're not even using soap or just having fun, playing with bath toys, right? And just watching this clean water go away, I started thinking about it one day and I hopped online.
2: Online, he found a commercial unit that will clean that bath water so Justin and his family can use it outside. He hopes that'll make his slice of paradise less susceptible to drought, and will mean he'll use less water from the Colorado River. He got the unit, and on the January day I'm here, he just brought it into his garage. He plans to install it as part of a big home renovation he cleared out a little area next to the piles of stuff with surfboards on top. We just walk into your garage and we see this big unit here. It's like as tall as your double stacked washer and dryer.
3: We've been waiting for two years for these units to come in and it's been like holding our breath to see if we can get this. For, this is this thing just, just right in my house today it's for the first time, so I'm really happy to have it here. <laughs> it makes me feel like things are happening. <laughs>
2: I mean, I would walk in here and I would guess that it's like a charger for an electric car or, you know, some kind of solar battery. Like, I'd have no idea that this is cleaning your water.
3: Funny you say that because it does sort of look like those when you go charging your car. It looks like those big batteries, those big chargers standing there. And it has this beautiful stainless steel front that looks like, uh, like the Jetsons. It looks just new and it looks modern.
2: home water recycling has been around a long time. Do-it-yourselfers build systems to use their laundry water to feed the lawn. And Justin believes this is the moment it'll hit the mainstream. He believes he's on the very early edge of a revolution.
3: This will be on every single house. This, an electric car, a car charger, solar, these are the things people are going to have. I'm sure of it.
2: From CPR News, this is Parched, a podcast about people who rely on the river that shaped the West and have ideas to save it. I'm Michael Elizabeth Sackis. In this episode, how we could take the water we already use at home and reuse it to make our water go further. Our wastewater holds a lot of potential. It's available locally, and it's less affected by climate change, since we're still going to shower and wash our clothes. But we need to clean our wastewater so we can safely use it again. At Justin's house, we'll see how a company is trying to empower homeowners to recycle their own wastewater and cities are finding new ways to reuse our wastewater on a much bigger scale in whole metro areas. We're in the midst of big breakthroughs in water reuse. If people and cities embrace these opportunities, it'll mean we could have other options besides the Colorado River. At home, we can't get our water up to drinking quality. And we can't recycle water that has poop or kitchen waste, but we can separate that from the water we use that's not
4: as gross. So shower, bathtub, washing machine, that type of water, condensation from air conditioning, that's water you can capture within your own home and use it a second time.
2: Fernando Ramirez met me here in Southern California as a leader for the company called Hydroloop that made this sleek looking machine in Justin's garage. Fernando's describing a category of our used water that together is known as gray water.
4: It's lightly contaminated water, right?
2: The idea is to take all that gray water.
4: Once that water goes through our system, then it's available to flush toilets. It can go back into the washing machine. You can use it for drip irrigation in your garden and even to top off pools.
2: Pools like Justin's, which I can see from where we're sitting on his roof deck on a sunny and warm winter day. Fernando and Justin believe that at-home gray water recycling can mean real water savings in the Southwest. This is serious business for Fernando, who sits across from me wearing a suit jacket with his graying brown hair neatly combed. Hydroloop and a competing company called Greater both see huge potential. Fernando says it's obvious, since right now we flush our toilets with drinking water, also called potable water. We flush with water that's good enough to drink.
4: In an average American home, 24% of your water consumption is flushing water down the toilet. of potable water we're throwing away. All of us here are throwing away that every day. It should be illegal at some point to flush toilets with potable water.
2: Fernando got interested in water when he worked in the energy industry. He was curious how the availability of water and energy are connected. Then he volunteered abroad to learn more about a lack of access to clean water. It's something he can relate to.
4: So I was born in Colombia. So I was born in a developing country uh, where we do learn at early age as well to respect resources, to respect Earth. And it's a significant shift here in the U.S. when you look at the U.S. population and, and even my own children. You know, we need to teach them about sustainability. That's something that's born within us when you come from a third world country.
2: Then in 2020, he joined Hydroloop, the European company that makes these gray water machines. It hired Fernando to expand the company in the U.S. They want new homes to be required to separate gray water from other wastewater, so units like this can be put in. They also want individual homeowners to buy in, the way Justin has. Justin really seems like the archetype of an early adopter for a fancy-looking at-home water system. He's a gadget guy who's also environmentally minded. That started when he was a kid growing up north of here near Yosemite National Park.
3: You can see the snowpack up there if it's going to be a good or bad year. You can see the level of the reservoir to see how much water you have. People were doing grey water recycling back in the 70s and 80s, and they were doing these large sand pits. It was mostly just shower water. It would take all the soaps back out and then we could reuse it for watering up there in an area that water has always been scarce.
2: Today, Justin and his brother run a solar business, and he's embraced solar wholeheartedly for his own family. Looking down into your backyard, I see you have backyard chickens. There's actually like a coop and a run. And the coop has solar panels on it?
3: Yeah. (laughs) What What are those doing? We have a limited roof space on our small house, so we had to add it out there.
2: Justin's electrified everything in his house he can think of. The garage we started in has a giant battery on one side that captures the solar energy he makes.
4: I'm sitting there listening to Justin explain all the different variations of technologies he's adopting. He's George Jetson. That, that's who he reminds me of.
2: Fitting then that Justin, the early adopter, would have this Jetson's looking machine to reuse his water. He's not on Hydroloop's payroll, but when he bought the unit for himself, Even before he'd installed it, he bought eight more for friends and family. Then a whole shipping container's worth to offer to his solar customers as add-ons. Hydroloop's units cost about $5,500. That's similar to the competing company, Greater. Justin knows not everyone can afford it, but he thinks it's like the early days of solar at home or the first people to buy electric cars— those have started to go mainstream. Justin says at-home graywater reuse machines will too.
3: We've been in droughts in California where you have to cut it off and you see all the lawns die and you see all the vegetation die and all the plants and trees outside of people's houses. And we'll be the one unicorn house that, at night when the power is off and we're the house with the lights on. And we're going to be the one house with fruit trees and a lawn that's still there because we're going to be using recycled water.
2: But the idea of this becoming widespread seems far in the future, because right now, reusing your gray water at home is not even allowed in some places in the Southwest. It was, in effect, illegal to set up a gray water system pretty much everywhere in this region before the 1990s. Arizona started to allow it, then Wyoming and New Mexico, Other Colorado River states started to allow it only 10 or 15 years ago. In some places, you can now run a hose to send your laundry water outside to your lawn without getting a permit. That's progress, but often it's up to cities to decide how permissive they'll be. The regulations are based on concerns about health and safety if you have water in your house that hasn't been treated to the city's standards.
4: I get it, you know, accidents happen, pets, little kids, that's it. they worry about it. They go to that extreme and I understand why. But if that's a discussion, then we can address that.
2: With Hydroloop, Fernando became something of a door-to-door salesman, meeting with cities to try to speed up permitting and influence regulations to get more places to allow home reuse.
4: So every home becomes its own recycling of water plant. That's a significant change in the the discussion, right? Every home has the capability to recycle water and contribute to the water crisis. That's the message and that's the shift in mentality.
2: At Justin's house, it's become a reality. He installed the machine and he checks the app every day to see how many gallons he's saved. But is reusing water, one home at a time, the only way to do it? On top of what individual people like Justin can do to use less from the Colorado River, cities can build special plants to treat and reuse everybody's water. They wouldn't need to separate out the gray water from other wastewater, They wouldn't need each house to adopt recycling one by one. After the break, how whole cities can get fresh water from our waste. Hi, I'm Rebecca Romberg. I help make this podcast and lots of other shows at Colorado Public Radio. If you're enjoying Parched and you're thinking about what to listen to next, we've got some suggestions. Terra Firma explores the great outdoors. Robin's song is the sound my great-grandmother's and their great-grandmother's knew. Ghost Train looks at how to make public transportation work better. If we really want a better city, a better world, we have to change. My Story So Far is a podcast where people share their personal stories live and on stage. I don't want to bash my father's cooking, but there was no enchiladas, there was no rice, not even any beans. Like, come on. (laughs) Find these shows in your favorite podcast app or visit cpr.org slash podcasts.
1: Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank, 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at alpinebank.com. Support for Parched comes from the Grand Canyon Trust, dedicated to safeguarding the lands and waters of the Colorado Plateau since 1985 and working to protect the region for future generations. Learn more at grandcanyontrust.org. What do you want to see?
4: What's your favorite animal at the zoo? What do you think? Um, tigers. It's tigers. I came to see the white
0: gator. Yeah, the white gator for sure.
2: The baby sloth. The baby sloth, oh. It's a beautiful, warm, sunny day at the Denver Zoo, which was one of my favorite places to come as a little kid growing up in the Denver area. We're standing on a bridge, and underneath us is a a, a pool of water. And we see actually a, a rhino right over here on our right and this water is recycled water. Some of this under my feet was toilet water. The utility Denver Water takes all of the water people use at home and treats it so it can be reused here.
3: Say elephant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're really excited to see the elephant. It's his favorite animal.
2: They're really magical and they have really good memories. Taking in the cute kids and the elephants with me is Asta Parker.
5: Yeah, there's some nice, like, meditation music, and they're just sunbathing
2: and eating grass. It's a pretty nice life. (laughs) She's a total animal nerd, just like me. Asta is also an environmental engineer and an expert on recycled water at the national consulting firm where she works, called Brown and Caldwell, which advises cities like Denver. Almost a third of the water the zoo uses is cleaned wastewater.
5: And that's what we're seeing at the zoo today is how we recycle domestic wastewater for non-drinkable uses. So that's the purple pipe category.
2: Literally, the pipes are purple because you can't just send this water through our normal plumbing since it's not drinking water. Right, so yes, I see that little tag right there that says recycled water on this pipe that has like a a hose to it. Remember Asta said non-drinkable. This is by far the most common type of water recycling cities get into. Cities set up a purple pipe system and mostly use it to water grass outside. I remember seeing a purple pipe feeding a golf course in Tucson. Some industries use it too, like power plants to cool down the equipment. Sports stadiums and office buildings are increasingly reusing their water. Denver hopes someday the airport will use it, maybe to spray down the airplanes. Asta says she's seen places use it to keep down dust outside or... A lot of purple fire hydrants out there, which I think are pretty exciting to go around and look at. The zoo has been able to cut down on how much pristine water it uses, leaving more for the rest of us. It uses the purple pipe water on grass and also to wash down the animals' indoor spaces behind the scenes and the outdoor habitats for elephants and rhinos. Asta asks if I wanna hear her fun fact about purple pipe water. And yeah, obviously I do. You see
5: all the purple signage and purple pipes and labeling and the hoses and that sort of thing. And purple is the official color across the world for reclaimed water or recycled water pipes. So it's not just in Colorado and not just you know, one state specific. So anywhere you go in the whole world, if you see purple pipes, that means reclaimed water.
2: Specifically, reclaimed water that isn't treated to drinking standards. There's a rhino right here taking a mud bath, rolling around in a mud pit. That was pretty exciting. The
5: rhino's splish-splashing and the recycled water exhibit.
2: So purple pipe water is useful, but it also has real limits. The water can only be used for certain things because of health and safety, which means it can only replace so much of the water we're drawing from the Colorado River and other sources. And the purple pipes are a whole different plumbing system from the one that goes into buildings across the city. Building out that system isn't something a lot of cities can afford.
5: It does not typically go over well in communities to do large amounts of construction year round for many years it also requires maintenance. It requires folks to sign on and use the recycled
2: water. Cities would need customers for the water, like the Denver Zoo, to make it worth it.
5: The other — and I am so sorry, I am distracted by this monkey — they're swinging across the rope, and it's really exciting right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow! That's Thank so you. cute. <laughs> it's adorable. Um, and so I think that it is a barrier, but that is actually where potable reuse projects come in.
2: Potable equals drinkable. Recycling water so it's up to drinking standards is like the pinnacle of citywide water recycling. Just like purple pipe water, you take all the wastewater people produce and treat it, not just their gray water. But the difference from purple pipes is that you also treat it well enough that it's drinking water quality. So that means cities don't have to find specific customers like the zoo or put in all new
5: pipes. The infrastructure's already in place. All the piping and the system and the distribution,
2: everything can operate the same way. The way it does with our drinking water. At home, we wouldn't do anything differently. We'd get treated wastewater coming into all of our taps. Cities in the Southwest are starting to do this, and it has the potential to take off in the next 10 years. To create a more reliable, local source of pristine water for cities across the Southwest. But even being open to this idea is a huge evolution from how Americans thought about drinkable wastewater just 25 years ago. Back then, a federal agency deemed wastewater reuse a solution of last resort for our drinking water supplies. Over decades, the U.S. had intentionally set up wastewater and drinking water separately to protect our health and the environment. Then in the 90s, as more places worried we wouldn't have enough water to go around, they got interested in reusing wastewater, By then, technology was reliably making it safe enough. But that didn't always sit well with the people who would be drinking it.
0: The idea of water that's flushed down a toilet didn't conjure up the same image as, say, Rocky Mountain spring water. My name's Berkeley Hudson.
2: He's a journalism professor at the University of Missouri.
0: I was a staff writer at the Los Angeles Times in the late 80s and 90s. And I wrote about potential for recycling sewage water for drinking water supplies. There was a real need to figure out how are we going to supply the water needs for, in that case, in the San Gabriel Valley, a million people.
2: To replace water, Southern California was pulling from the Colorado River. The San Gabriel Valley in greater Los Angeles proposed to reuse its wastewater. But locals were kind of grossed out.
0: The people opposing this, using this recycles sewage water, came up with kind of a genius, and you could say propaganda, toilet to tap.
2: Toilet to tap. Berkeley heard that pithy phrase for the first time at a public meeting on the proposal to reuse wastewater. He wrote it into his story, and it really caught on.
0: I think the story got circulated all over the place. I mean, our stories would go out to 600 media outlets around the world.
2: This slogan, Toilet to Tap, became a rallying cry for people to oppose wastewater reuse nearby in San Diego and Los Angeles. In LA, the utility spent $55 million building a wastewater reuse project and abandoned it when customers got freaked out. LA used it for a few days and then shut it down.
0: It becomes emotional and the science gets crowded out.
2: That all taught Asta a lesson that wastewater reuse advocates still take very seriously today. They have to get support early on from the people who will be drinking this water. What we have learned as an industry
5: is certainly that the way you message a project or the lack of messaging or the lack of transparency can kill a project pretty quickly.
2: So public fear helped keep this solution on ice, even as the need for it started to become apparent. But that has been thawing since the controversy in Southern California. Because think about it. Even rain was once liquid inside something's body that's gone through nature's filtering. City wastewater reuse is humanity's version of that filter.
5: We're all just drinking dinosaur waste at the end of the day. We drink the exact same water that the dinosaurs did. It's just evaporating and moving. And so we would all like to think that we are only using and only drinking water that has come from snowflakes up in the mountains, but it's all recycled water on the planet.
2: Another big barrier till now is that there's been cheaper water. But those options are shrinking, and that makes a fancy treatment plant more appealing. So as the mega-drought lingers, momentum for recycling our wastewater to drinking standards has really picked up. Today, a handful of cities have built facilities to intentionally treat their own wastewater up to safe, drinkable standards. It has the potential to expand to a lot more cities because we're on the cusp of breakthroughs in state laws. I don't want to get too technical, but just like Fernando was struggling with restrictions on at-home water reuse, one by one, states have to set rules for cities to turn their wastewater into drinking water, and they're slowly making it possible. For the first time in history, I would say that
5: regulations, economic drivers, and and being able to financially afford it, the technologies catching up and public acceptance are all actually coming together at just the right time to be able to make that a reality.
2: For growing cities in the West, Asta says this development couldn't come soon enough. We didn't necessarily plan for the population that exists
5: across the western U.S. right now in a lot of the city centers. When these cities were founded, a lot of them were founded based on a small water supply. So why is reuse so important? It doesn't really matter whether or not it snows or rains. We still have wastewater coming into the
2: wastewater treatment plants. There's a city already modeling this future, just outside Denver in a place called Aurora. It gets a quarter of its water from the Colorado River. There are hundreds, maybe more than a thousand water utilities in the Southwest. Aurora is one of just about 15, by our count, that have built facilities to intentionally recycle their own wastewater to pure standards.
4: Aurora, each day your beauty shines as brilliant as the dawn.
2: Aurora's TV station made this promotional video. It highlights a lush green golf course, a kid living it up on a water slide, sailboats on a big blue reservoir. But don't let all that water fool you. Aurora has had a hard time getting enough of it. They've had to go after solutions they wouldn't have considered a few decades ago because this city has been booming as people flock to this region, just like other cities that use Colorado River water.
5: So we're going to need water for that
4: growth.
2: Swerveen Nyarenda is a planner for Aurora Water. Swerveen is showing Asta and me around the fancy purification facility here. We're standing outside on a walkway now, looking over water that's being treated. The sewage has been removed before it gets here, but there are still things in the water that need to be cleaned. Most of our treatment processes
5: that we use are all based on things that happen in the environment. We're really just consolidating that and making an engineered system to do a very similar type of treatment with
2: a biofilter. So says this system is a big part of what will make it possible to live in this city in the future. And it's a model other growing cities can follow.
5: It is a reliable supply of water. It's not subject to, you know, climate variability and that kind of thing. So it's a reliable supply of water for us and we are going to exploit it as much as we can.
2: Aurora plans to keep investing and upgrade this facility. Right now, they treat the water really well, but they also hold the water in a river for a while to get some additional cleaning from Mother Nature. Upgrading will let them send treated wastewater more directly to people's taps to eliminate some energy they need to use. Recycling our water like that, treating it and getting it straight back to taps, is just becoming possible in the Southwest. Colorado established its regulations earlier this year. California, Arizona, and New Mexico all have regulations in the works. These regulations could make it cheaper and mean it will use less energy, so that more cities could treat wastewater to become drinkable. Ultimately, it'll give more cities a viable local water source.
5: And in my mind, it's liquid gold. I love the idea that that is becoming as valuable to us as any reservoir, as any river water or anything
2: else. I just love your excitement around it. I mean, it seems like this is like a really cool moment for you to feel like all of these stars are aligning and that this is going to just become like you said, just something that people are used to.
5: It is, I think that this is the world that, you know, I thought was possible. I think many of us did 10, 15 years ago. We were like one day, one day we're gonna see direct potable reuse in so many communities or potable reuse in general. One day we are going to see people valuing wastewater as highly as they value, you know, any sort of reservoir or other water source. And it's it's actively happening.
2: Ushering in this change will come down to local decisions at hundreds of utilities in the Colorado River states. Cities will have to consider how much more water they need and how much they're legally required to send down the river to the next city that needs it. Plus, how much the environment itself needs that wastewater for the river's health. Depending on what method you use, treating wastewater to drinking standards can also create brine. Cities would need to figure out how to get rid of it, even if it doesn't happen immediately. Asta's confident that if the Southwest water situation gets more dire fast, wastewater reuse has become a realistic way to react, rather than having to truck in water, which is what some cities have had to resort to.
5: Absolutely we can make it happen. And it may not be, you know, the most beautiful rollout, but we can absolutely provide safe, reliable drinking water for any community in any of the seven states.
2: She sees increasing the number of water recycling plants in the Colorado River states as a game changer for our water future. We can live in the middle of the desert
5: and these beautiful places in the West and still have the certainty that we're always going to have water to drink, we're always going to be able to water our gardens. Like the idea of being able to create kind of small biodomes almost all across the Western U.S. for millions and millions of people in the desert.
2: So recycling water at a lot of different scales can be a reliable way to help us live more sustainably in the Southwest. It's not cheap, But it's often less expensive and has fewer environmental impacts than moving water from someplace else or desalinating ocean water. Along with conservation, recycling can make an individual city or even an individual person more secure that they'll have water in the future. There's another thing cities might do to contribute to Colorado River Solutions. What if the price of water went up everywhere in the Southwest, since it's so valuable right now? Would that make us use less? I suspect that what happened to us has scared a lot of people. I mean, there are a lot of people
3: who just are terrified, elected officials, to even start
2: talking about raising water rates. Is water... Too cheap? That's next time on Parched. Hey, it's Michael. Thanks for listening to Parched. I have another show I know you'll love. Ghost Train is about an ambitious plan for commuter rail in Colorado how it got sidetracked, and where Denver and other cities might go from here. It's a question facing cities across the country. Find Ghost Train wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank. 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at alpinebank.com.